0: Right now, the labels own their community. Right now, third-party platforms that they have to use to, to, as, like a, as an as a intermediary, they own your community. Like TikTokers. If you get shadow banned, you've lost your TikTok owns your community. They can decide if they don't like something they put on a shadow ban, you, and all of a sudden your community doesn't see you, and you don't get paid. Web3 allows you to own it. uh, allows you to interact directly with your community and own your community
1: and engage with your community directly. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Laddin, and this week our guest is Corey Herskew. Corey is an independent growth and media consultant, and in this episode, he talks openly about struggling with ADHD, a, a perceived traditionally perceived handicapped, uh, that he was able to turn into an asset and help uh, use it to his advantage and further his career. Around that same time, he segued from a successful sales career into that of consulting, and now advises artists and companies in the Web3 space on how best to tell their story and position them for growth. Let's dive in. Corey, welcome to the podcast. We finally made it happen, buddy. We did, we did. You, you work in media, you've, you've done a lot of work in, in, in marketing and growth and stuff like that. As a kid, did you ever envision that that would be the path your career would take? Was that sort of, did you have the, the skill sets early on to, to, <laughs> no. be, to be the kind of successful guy? In that no, area that no, in no, no,
0: no, no, uh, no. Funny enough, and you would never believe this, but I wanted to be a veterinarian growing up. Uh, because I have a very, very, very deep love for animals. Specifically dogs. I grew up with a big dog. The dog was my best friend. Um, it broke me when she passed away when I was like 10 years old. Like really broke me. just like growing up with this one dog. She came everywhere with me. She was like my, my buddy. And then she passed away. And I said, I committed myself to being a veterinarian until I realized that you need a lot of education to get, being a doctor, and I had horrible ADHD, and I couldn't focus on shit. And back then, ADHD wasn't as such a conversation. Back then, my very, very Eastern European parents were like, how dare you say our kid might not be perfect? He doesn't need medication. You need medication. So school and I never really had a good relationship, meaning guess who's not going to become a veterinarian?
1: Uh,
0: so I gave up on that when uh, i realized how much science and math was involved and i just wasn't good with theory um i fell into my career very 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 randomly otherwise growing up no i had zero thought if you ask even my parents my parents don't even know what i do um i had absolutely zero uh, just understanding or knowing what i would be how i would get here or that i would do this nothing it was only recently in the last few years that uh, I was fully diagnosed with ADHD and have figured out how to harness my, you know what I mean? Um, some of the smartest people in the world are ADHD, but they have figured out how to harness it for the best. Unfortunately, it took me a lot longer in my life to figure that out, so I struggled a lot with a lot of things. Um, I fell into what I do
2: very, very unexpectedly.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: do you think it was understanding? Do you think it came when you started to harness the benefits of, you know, the positive of ADHD?
0: It came when I understood what ADHD was. And it wasn't that I was disruptive, it wasn't that I. Couldn't focus. It's not my mind wasn't allowing me to. Uh, mm. nobody, they all thought that I had learning. I had a learning disability. Because back in 1990, when I was six and seven years old, it was a learning disability. You know I mean, if you couldn't sit still in class, you had a disability. I mean, it was just black and white. Sure. So when the teacher said Corey needs to go to special education, to my my parents got offended by it uh school they helped me just scrape by um i barely made it through high school uh i dropped out of college and i just went to work because i said theory and education isn't for me because i don't have the capacity to sit and learn theory i need to do 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 do
1: so when that comes to career trajectory it leads you to the space of media space of, of marketing and growth, how does how does that point, how do you make that that foray into that arena? Very good question.
0: Uh, I worked in sales for a very long time. Uh, I did very, very well in sales. Uh, I burnt out at sales.
2: I had, I was working in Telco.
0: And uh, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what Telco is, tel- like working for AT&T, the Canada's version. I worked for Rogers. Uh, so one thing I had was great relationships with the brands, Blackberry, Samsung, like the ones who make the hardware, the OEMs, as they're called. Uh, I burnt out of sales. I'm like, I need to do something else. And I said, okay, I'm going to get into journalism. Because I loved reading about phones. So I said, I'm going to learn how to write about phones now. Uh... So I got into writing about phones, which helped me go to like Blackberry World and CES and all these trade shows and just like learn and meet all the people in the industry. Uh, but I very quickly learned, as many people will know, is that there's not a lot of money in media. I made all these relationships, but I didn't know how to monetize it. So I went and got a sales job selling like a, a product. And I'm like, how do I sell a product that nobody knows about? So I went to my friends at Crackberry and Engadget and said, hey guys, what do you think of this product? And they're like, oh fuck, it's cool, we'll write about it. The product went from like zero to 5,000 users overnight. And the CEO was like, I appreciate what you did, but I don't need PR, I need sales. So I said, I enjoyed doing that. He said, you know what we'll do as a compromise? Transition out of sales, which means like leaving the job. But as a thank you, I'm going to introduce you to a lot of my friends who have similar startups who need the same help getting in front of media. I didn't know this was PR. Um, so I started launching apps. And I had relationships so I could guarantee App Store Carousel, I could guarantee certain things that people couldn't do because I had the relationships. And I did it for two years. And I'm like, maybe this is my calling. And because I had a background in journalism, I went to a post-grad in PR. Because I had a background in journalism, they let me into the post-grad without any college, university. I did it for two years, I got my diploma in PR, and I launched a business. And I evolved, I launched a lot of cool products, got a lot of experience, started to become known as like the wild card for people. Like they would have agencies, but then they would call me in because I could guarantee things. So it didn't matter what I was charging. The optics was I could get you onto TechCrunch. It's not like paying for TechCrunch. is that I had a relationship and I have a knack for creating stories. I have a knack for turning stuff into something that could get earned media. So it's not about nepotism. It's Anybody can get good coverage if you have a good story to tell. Coverage isn't the product, it's the story. And if you're good at telling stories, you, you can place anything.
1: Right, so you're saying you were able to Take a product or take, take something Anything. that nobody, yeah. n- nobody had awareness around and create a narrative around that product
0: and then create virality. So I worked in many products to launch them that took off because it, they were very, very well received. And so my name just started to spread. And because of my ADHD, I had a very hard time fitting into enormous of agency structure. So I wanted to go work for agencies, but nobody wanted to hire me because I'm all over the place. I had a very hard time with structure. I could get things done very, very, very quickly and then move on to the next. I wasn't good at like, now do this, now do this. It's not how my brain works.
2: So I built an agency uh, with, a, with a partner. And then I was introduced to medical cannabis,
0: CBD it really helped me with my anxiety and my focus. Hmm. Somebody said to uh, somebody said, I'm not going to give you money for something for like, I was selling some office furniture. He's like, I'm not going to give you money. I'm going to give you this vape pen. Try it. (laughs) And so I tried it and it immediately made me happy and focused and calm. And people were in my office like, you're a different person, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Hmm. We don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I had this aha moment where I'm like, this helped me so much. Imagine other people that it would help. It's my duty to pay it forward. Hmm. Um, I have the skill set to get this out there. Cannabis is becoming is legal medically now in Canada. So it's my duty to help people be better if I could do it. So I went to my business partner and I said, run the business as a successful consumer tech PR agency. Give me six months and I'm going to build out a cannabis, a cannabis practice. And I did that. And I spent six, seven months and I'd built out an entire cannabis practice, fell out of love with the, with the consumer tech, uh, bought my business partner out,
2: rebranded, and
0: started focusing. I still can do a lot. C- consumer tech has always been my bread and butter. I started focusing very exclusively on cannabis. The industry went like this and then the industry went like this. When the industry went like this, I had a breakdown because I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I put all my eggs in one basket and I have kids and a family. Right. So I ended up taking a job in-house at an American agency that was opening up a Canadian office, helping them scale it out, brought my clients over. From there, I was introduced to Web3. Um, Really, really wrapped my head around what it was and what it could do. I launched several projects that did very, very, very well. So my name started to get out there again. And again, it was just back to the narrative. You can get it in place if you have a good story. People who fail to get hit, it's because they're thinking what they want to see covered, not what the media and people want to see covered. You know what I mean? You have to put yourself into the mind of a journalist, mind of the reader, not mind of a biased CEO or a biased employee. Hmm. So I launch projects that help people. I consult. They'd be like, here's what we're doing. And I'm like, I still don't see what the so what is. But we're doing this. I'm like, but why do I care? You need to nail down your X factor.
2: And so I would work with them and people would hire me uh,
0: to work with them to help them define that. And once I did that, we'd go out and all of a sudden they went from getting no coverage to all of a sudden being everywhere. Because they are able to define why people should give a shit. And now I'm just like still, I, I'm doing consulting now. I work for a bunch of projects. If someone comes to me with something cool and I, and like, I believe in it and I think it's fun, I'll jump in. I'm not being the person who I was before. It's like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, through the years, it's become very mindful of my boundaries, my capacity, my desire to be with I'm pushing 40, my energy and my desire to hang with my kids more than burn the midnight oil at both ends. And so that's led me to take on projects that mean something and are fun versus I need to have 15 projects paying me 5000 a month. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so now it's the mindset thing. And now that's where I am. You know what attracted me to Web3 the most? Ownership work protection. Um, a dear friend of mine is a very, very prolific and well-known musician, uh, Ray Neda of Our Lady Peace. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with him, getting to know he and his, part, his, his wife, Shankar Kraviyatak, who is a legend in her own right. I've gotten to know them very well, gotten to work with them very well. And what got me into Web3 through Rain was helping people get paid off of their creativity. Mm. Helping people prove ownership. And someone would say, well, I can call a lawyer. Most artists can barely pay rent, let alone pay a notary to prove that what's what's theirs is theirs. So if they can stamp it on the chain and get irrefutable proof that it's theirs, that protects their IP. That forces people to pay them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I think there's been a lot of rug pulls, a lot of bad eggs have created uh, grifts and have given, I hate using the word bad actors. I think that there's people who have gotten in for the wrong reasons and it's made other people effective, but I think there's the right people in it. There are a lot of really good people who are doing good things that help community at large. And those are the people who I want to jump
1: in and help. Then it sounds like you basically just took the skill set of taking a product, taking a startup, building a narrative around that and, and getting eyeballs on it and getting traction to Web3 and artists. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Um,
2: PR, fundamentally, is an ego management
0: career. It's, allow, it's helping people get out of their own mind and their own bias to understand why people should care versus saying this is the best. Once you help them get out of that mindset and understand very, very rapidly explaining what they do and why people should care, it becomes an easy sell. Eight, nine-tenths of the job of PR and marketing is, is, is the explanation. Once you nail the explanation succinctly that a five-year-old will understand, it
1: becomes something that people want to invest in because they understand it. Hmm. So your job has been helping people understand things in a basic form diluted, high-level, high-level version. It's taking something that's
0: very long and making it very short. Uh, People have the attention span of goldfish. So if you get somebody's attention, maximize it in order to convert them. If you don't convert them, it's because they didn't care and you don't want them as a customer.
3: Hmm.
0: But if you did, those are the people you have to start caring about. So it's not we have a groundbreaking world. No. We do this and this is why. Done. Stop hyperbolizing it. Get to the point.
1: Mm. from that the idea being from that place the people who need or are interested in what you have will come
2: rather than saying if you
0: build it they will come if they understand it, they will buy
3: mm.
2: you know and I mean? so the
1: same yeah the same in the same way you're saying uh well i know you just mentioned protections you know there's the legality of the blockchain and and helping uh, artists you know take ownership of of their work is that is that that the focus on is that what drew you to web three in the sense of oh hey i can I can use the I can help sell artists on blockchain technology to help take ownership of their work or, or I guess what about web three enticed you to kind of Dive deeper into the space as it pertained to working with
2: artists? It's a really good question. Um, one, that we aren't the product anymore. We're not being, I, I appreciate it in Web3 that it, it made it so consumers aren't the product. Um, IP
0: ownership is very important. I think that 1% of artists make money and the rest are struggling. And Web3 helps 99% of are artists making money make money. Um, very few any people... And it, when you see successful industries, it's only the 1% who are very successful and everybody else is struggling. Web3 s- spreads the wealth. Um, do I agree with all uses of the block? Absolutely not. I think there's a lot of people who are using the block for the wrong reasons, and not everything needs to be on the block, you know what I mean? But there are things that do, and it, the block helps those industries uh, stay valid and stay relevant. Um, there's a very good use case, there's a product I work with now that is like, it's an affiliate network, driving leads. You know what the block does? It verifies the lead. But guess what? Hmm eradicate spam. You can't get spam leads or fake leads anymore because every single lead is validated by the block. So now you know that you're getting everything you're getting are real people, whether you close them is on you. But now you know you're getting real people because they're all validated. That's interesting to me because that's literally killing spam. Hmm. You know what I mean? So right. I, all industries run on aff- affiliate networks make the world go round. Affiliate networks are what keep people like you in, in having a job because it's the commission. But knowing that the right eyes are looking and it's not inflated helps you give accurate analytics to sell ad space. If you're getting 200,000 page views and 50,000 of them are bots, you're only getting 150,000 page views. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're not converting, it's just fake eyes. So stuff that helps validate numbers, accuracy, monetization, IP, that's stuff that really excites me in the web
1: and what do you see Web3 and blockchain technology helping artists further their own communities in a way that... Because now they're
0: owning, they're owning the community. Got right me. now the labels own their community. Right now third-party platforms that they have to use to, to, as, like a, as an as a intermediary, they own your community. Like TikTokers. If you get shadow banned, you've lost... TikTok owns your community. They can decide if they don't like something they put on a shadow ban you know, and all of a sudden your community doesn't see you and you don't get paid. Web3 allows you to own it. It Allow, uh, allows you to interact directly with your community and own your community and engage with your community directly.
1: Would it also be fair to say then because of that interactivity of directness, of, of interacting as an artist with your community, that it's up to the artist to kind of embody what you're talking about? Here's who I am, here's what I do. And Of course. And so... If they don't do that, there's uh, you know, you run the risk of nothing. People,
0: people buy with emotion. You want to know why Apple is the biggest brand in the world?
2: Because it, it, they know how to trigger emotion. They don't make the best products in the world. Shit. their products aren't worth sometimes
0: two, three thousand dollars. But emotionally, they're marketing geniuses. They know how to trigger you to feel like you need the next product. We are emotional creatures who buy on impulse.
1: Do you think that's true for every industry in commerce? Yes,
0: I think that's true for everything. If you can't trigger emotion, you're not going to get a customer. People have to feel like they bond with you. People have to feel like you're hitting a soft spot in them where they didn't even realize it existed. So now they want to invest in you because they want to keep that dopamine rush. They
1: want to keep feeling that. Hmm. Could could it be said then? You know the pizza dough you buy you're you're at it, your core purchasing one brand or the over the other because <laughs> of of that emotional connection, or could it be you know just as you might consume an artist uh, in a particular moment you just need to listen to something so you're grabbing what's available in both scenarios i mean
0: Brian, there's both scenarios, but I think that when you are at the grocery store if you just saw a commercial for uh Frank's Thin Pizza, and you liked the commercial, that was emotion. You liked it. So when you're in the grocery store, you're going to recognize that brand and buy it over a brand that you haven't seen, that you haven't had the same connection with. Hmm. You know what I mean? When you are watching TV, you're seeing ads. La Croix, or any of these other brands that come out of nowhere, it's because they're marketing to your emotion. So you recognize it, you relate to it, you feel for it. So the next thing you want to buy, you want to buy it because you feel a, a, a connection to the brand.
1: Got it. You see something on TV and say it's an ad for a soda company and you laugh at it. You're saying because you're laughing, you're inherently engaging with the brand. And now you're more apt to make the decision to buy that soda had you not had that experience.
0: You just laughed at a commercial, which means it triggered happy feelings. Next time you see that product outside, you're going to be happy because it reminds you of the time that you were happy when you saw it
1: and you're not going to buy it. So, is there a way that if I'm an artist and I'm now, now I'm in, I've, I've taken the leap, I've gone into uh, Web3 and, and ex- I'm starting to experiment with blockchain technology and I'm growing my community, how can I, in essence, do that, do what we just described with the soda with my community members in an authentic way? Well, what are you making? Say I'm, I'm, you know what, better, better use case, say, say I'm creating art. and okay, uh, What kind of art? I'm, I'm a digital artist, and I, just because it's right here, I'm, I'm making cool renderings of plants.
0: Okay. but Very easy. You want to sell your
2: plant-based art? Are you going to go sell to, to people
0: who like action sports? No. That's not your demographic. Plants, nurseries, agriculture, stuff like that. You want to get in there and show them why. Why is yours different than anybody else? You know what? We get the macro of the seed breaking open. We document, my art documents the marriage of seed and soil. All of a sudden, people understand what makes you different in a target group of people who have the same interest in you. So now they believe in you and they want to invest in you.
1: That's really cool how you did that. So,
3: <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> so essentially, you would you would you would kind of look at, do a little bit of self reflection, think about what kind of art your your creations fall into. What what could if they could be reduced into a category or a lane? It has to be reduced be. to a category, because then you don't you can't be a jack of all trades master of none. Right. If you're right. somebody
0: who Really, really appreciate frizzy hair. Okay? You're just, that's, that's who you are. So your art is foreheads with frizzy heads on
2: top. Okay? Who has frizzy hair?
0: Jewish community, African American community, some um, uh, Moroccan, like East African communities. You go in there and you're showing, I grew up with this kind of hair feeling like I was an outcast because nobody else had it. And I realized there was a community around me who did. So you go in there and you start selling that and saying you're, it's, it's, it's an emotion. You're evoking emotion from people who feel the same way and they want to support because they grew up the same way as you. Hmm. It, you. You have to not... I've seen so many projects where you're like, oh, the utility. We all know no one's casting on that utility. People are going to buy it and forget about it half the time. So when you're doing something, there has to be a lot more to it than that. There's got to be... A rallying community around it and this is why I've never like to me it comes clearly to you you're just like holy shit how did you do that because I'm not thinking from a biased perspective of you as the person who created and put your heart and soul into it you're like this is the best nobody else no I'm taking a pragmatic approach to it I'm removing the emotion and saying pragmatically why should people care you're like my photography skills I invest in a really good macro I've I've Got the timing down for when the seedling cracks and it sprouts out into the soil. Those are my shots. Those are my shots at agriculture. Does anybody else do that? Not that I know of. There you go. So now you start going to ag pubs and all these communities of nurseries and people who like planting and talk about the marriage. And it's, it's almost like there's animal photographers who capture birth, just people who capture babies being born. You capture when the seed and the soil touch to create a plant. Hmm. And so you're, you're creating this like aura and the storyline, this emotion around that marriage and how they've never been caught before, leveraging the fact that you have a special macro camera. And you put them in different colors and you show your one-ofs and this and that and the other. And now all of a sudden people can be like, oh shit, maybe I want to put that into my workshop. It's a really cool shot. So they buy your NFT and part of the utility of the NFT is that you will send them the, the, the physical print that matches it. So in their wallet, they can show it, but their workshop at home, they have the, they have the uh, 10 by 10 of the picture. Hmm. And then if they ever resell it, you still have the, you get the royalty.
1: Right. And what's really, so, so really what I'm hearing you say too is artists need to really take a self-inventory quiz or assessment rather yes. and get to the bare bones of what is it that they're creating who who is it for outside of themselves Mm -hmm. and go all in on creating it, you know, obviously it has to feel good for you as the as the creator, but but really then give it to a specific, as you're saying, a specific audience.
3: Yeah,
2: and then it grows from
1: there. Jean-Michel Basquiat
0: was really a niche of 1% liked him. They talked about him and then more people found out now he's worldwide. You, you're not, that's why I'm saying you can't be jack-of-all-trades. Your community will speak for you. But you have to create that community. And how do you create the community? By tapping into people who have like-minded interests.
1: And that's, to bring that kind of full circle, it seems that that's sort of the value of Web3 because it's a global scale. You can, you can eke out those community members that in previous eras you weren't able to do. With as and, much ease as you can now. And
0: you dive into it and you hop, You have to put the work in. You go into the spaces. You meet people. You pitch yourself. You shill. You refine it. People won't, can't afford to have a consultant like me. That's fine too. So you have to practice. Go into things, thing. Get laughed at. Take the constructive feedback. Get over yourself. Allow yourself to change and evolve until, until you master it. And you'll know you've mastered it because people are starting to understand and wanting to buy from you. Because you're not spending 45 minutes explaining it.
3: Hmm. Twitter hey.
0: Twitter spaces aren't Twitter spaces aren't therapy sessions. They're places to go in there and say, "Here's who I am. Here's what I do." And the people who have really nailed down that sell and get popular are better than the ones who sit there for an hour and talk about how the world sucks. They suck. Their life sucks. Nobody likes them anymore because they jump into Web three. Why should I like you if you hate yourself? Why should I invest in you if you feel you know what I mean? Like you, you gotta get over yourself and understand inherently what it is you're doing and why I should care You can come in there and be like Corey I, r- I know that you really like glasses I know that you love frames you have a collection of frames some of my art takes different frames like you and puts them onto puppies shit you know I like dogs it's dogs wearing funny frames send me one maybe I'll buy it because it correlates to my interests
2: you know what I mean
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: so
1: why do you think as humans we overcomplicate that entire process and put more i mean you you just said it a few times you know people need to get over themselves is that is that what stands in the way from truly understanding okay hey i'm creating x uh i need to deliver x to people in order to support myself mm-hmm you know, are they, is it ego? What's the, what's the barrier that's preventing people from executing on what you just explained? Themselves. Most of the time it's themselves.
0: People are scared of rejection. People are scared of no, people are scared of failure. People are scared of falling on their face. Once you get past all those fears and know that you miss every shot you don't take. First time you're gonna lose. The second time you're gonna lose. The third time you're gonna lose. The fourth time you're gonna lose. The fifth time you're gonna get a tie. Sixth time you might win, and then all of a sudden now you've you've felt both sides and you know what it takes to win versus keep coming in second place, which is fine. It's part of the process. But P, remember, I said PR was an ego game. Yeah, winning it, winning. You only win when you can humble yourself, hmm. because then it doesn't matter if you win or lose. You tried. There's a lot of people who lose it every day, but they appreciate the wins that they get because they know they're few and far between. You have to adapt and roll with it, and I learn. Um, I had a teacher back in the day who used to tell every day to sales team, "Go like this, go like this, and stay with oh, me now." I, ex- I touch your nose. Say with <laughs> me now. I accept. I accept my nose.
1: I accept my nose.
0: So there you go. It's a double entendre. I accept.
2: No's. Fifteen nos and a yes is still a yes.
0: It's a numbers game. Cold calling. Everything. It's sales, man. The only way you're ever gonna get a yes is to get a thousand no's and refine it and, and get to a point where where it's a science. The best salespeople in the world. No different than anything else. When you get into a room, my name is Steven and I like doing degenerate frizzy hair art. Here's why <laughs> I do it, here's here's what the utility is. And that's it. And there's going to be people who are going to like it and not like it, but you're refining it to the point where it doesn't matter whether they like it or not. They know who you are now.
1: It sounds like the, the traditional sales model was kind of what you're talking about in terms of a numbers game, refining your, your pitch, refining what you're saying until, you know, no, 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 yes. And that yes, it sounds like in today's web three world, Is easier to access because there's more people who are your potential yeses that are outwardly saying like hey I want to buy frizzy hair art and so you're kind of yeses aren't hard yeses aren't easy to come by yeses are very hard to come by and they take a long time to
0: get there the point is is that you don't let it get you too cocky you get used to those and get comfortable with those. so when a yes comes it just keeps you moving for more you want to keep replicating that dopamine rush you
3: know
0: what I mean you have to refine, refine, refine. The no turns into a yes, but if they're getting egotistically, I'm perfect. Okay, let's get another yes. Let's get another yes. Let's get another yes, because yes. you know there's always going to be more
2: nos. But the yeses matter.
1: That they do. So, in terms of growing an artist's community and and helping them succeed in Web three, what do you do on a sort of day to day to help an artist grow?
0: It's less about helping an artist grow and more about helping an artist understand what makes them different so they can create their community. Because artists are emotional beings, they're very biased. Their work is the best. Why is no one buying it? I've been through it. You know what I mean? I've been through it a lot. And the common theme, as I said, it goes back to the conversation around PR. The common theme is managing ego. Hmm. Um, A lot of what publicists do currently, they do whatever they can to close a deal. Yeah, I'll get you featured here. Yeah, I'll get you featured here. Yeah, I'll get you featured. You know what I mean? So they're setting these false expectations without having a really, really good understanding of what the business is and who's going to care about the story. Diving in and understanding the why and the what will allow you to understand who to go to, to create a narrative for them.
3: Hmm.
1: So kind of like what what we were talking about with, with understanding, you know, we gave the flower example and targeting people who like flowers and arborists and stuff like that, knowing who your audience is, it sounds like is vitally important aspect.
0: Listen, you got think of this way for you to be successful in what you do, Personally, you need to know who to book for the show. Sure. Otherwise, your boss is going to say, "If you can't do it properly, I'm going to find somebody else to do it properly." That's just the economics and how the world works.
3: Sure.
2: So you have to bring in
0: the right people to be in your circle who believe in what you're doing and know what they're doing. So you're not going to hire a tech PR agency to do cannabis PR. You're not going to hire a uh, fashion PR to do blockchain. Because they don't, it's not only like they don't understand it, but they're not immersed in it. Hmm. So to be successful, not only do you have to understand, but you have to be in it. You have to be in the space you have to know the right people. It takes a long time to get placed on business designer, man. There's 4,000 other outlets. You know what I mean? You have to live it. Part of what I used to do is spending after the gym in the morning, an hour, two hours seeing in spaces, getting to know people. You know what I mean? Really, really, really getting to know
2: people. It's
0: there's a lot that goes in. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it sounds like what you're also doing at your core is applying, in some ways too, the the sales background to just the artist space, and identifying and helping create the stories that you were helping, as you mentioned, with say blackberries and stuff like that, creating narratives around the artists themselves or or helping those artists tell the story of who they are and what they do and why they do it. Exactly. So, I worked with an artist named Thresh Holmes.
0: He had a drop. You know what I mean? Like, very, very successful artist in his own right. He had a drop that did really well. He's like, let's do it again, this time with generative instead of boxes. That one? I'm not saying it didn't do well, it sold out, but in terms of like, Success, it wasn't deemed as successful as others might be. And it really hurt his ego. Like, am I a failure? Am I an imposter? No. Not everything are going to be built the same. Not everybody can have the capability to be overly successful all the time. You know what I mean? And that's an ego thing that's setting expectations. And that's just like really, really, really setting precedent. and just understanding that things take time and people. Buy on emotion with people who they relate to. People want to work with people who they feel are human. People buy what they connect with. It's all that's all just basic, you know. That's like at the end of the day, that's all just basic.
1: And do you think people can sniff out when something doesn't feel human, when it feels artificial, when it feels? So then, that's where ignorance comes into play. They can.
2: They're not. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not following. If you don't
0: humanize what you're doing, no one's gonna believe it. The Twitter spaces that are the most successful are the ones where the people are really, really themselves and they're not watering down their brand for the sake of engagement farming. They are them. You like it or you don't, period. You need to humanize what it is that you're doing in order for people to, people inherently want to like other humans. Hmm. Humans are emotional beings. That's why I'm saying you have to humanize a brand. Apple is the most humanized brand in the world. People buy into it. It is the most valuable brand. Because people emotionally feel the need to have it. They believe in the brand. They believe in the feeling. They want to go and stand inside of an Apple store even though there's nothing there. They don't care about the prices. You, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a humanized brand. People don't feel like they're walking into fucking Target. They're walking into an Apple store and they feel happy to walk into an Apple store. They want to buy something from an Apple store. Because people there aren't force them a sale. They're there to help them. They're showing them that I'm a human just like you.
1: Well, just like the Genius Bar, I mean, you walk into that store. That's a great example, and there is, a, there are an assortment of folks provided, whether or not you've made a reservation, you can go in there, and it's a it's a service helping you with whatever it is that you do and whatever you use their technology for. So, I think to your point, it's like it's so you, so. Essentially, what you're saying is taking that humanizing aspect that we just established Apple does well and applying that to whatever community you're building on Twitter or whatever digital outlet is for you and your art or music or what have you. Exactly.
0: You know, what's a good example of this man. And I hate calling, there's people who just, I hate calling names. I'm not going to name names. That's just, that's just not my MO, but there's people who, you know that they're being genuine with what they do. Hmm. So you want to inherently help them.
2: There's people who you know are grifters. You don't want to help them, period.
0: There's no, there's no like secret or magic to it. It's just, who do you gravitate to? If I go on Twitter, there's people who are gonna naturally jump into a space and hear me speak because they like me. If I ever jumped into a, a project and said, I'm on this, I believe in it, people will buy it because they trust me. It doesn't even matter what it is. It's my influence. So what's going on right now in Twitter spaces and Web3 is that people are leveraging their influence and often for ingenuine in reasons. You know what I mean? They're being paid and not disclosing it and then they're like, well, what do you mean? It was a wrong call. Did you, take, did you look into it? Are you lying because they paid you or are you lying because you believe in it? And then they don't want to be called out and then it creates so that's where the issue has been in Web3. It's like pump and dump scams of like public companies and stuff. It all comes back to the humans that believe and trust in a brand or a person or a project and the people who – remember the NFT
2: fiasco? Yes. I
0: was part of the people who took them down. Really? Yes. My friend was the beat writer for, for Web3 and NFTs at Rolling Stone. Eric Spivak is a very close friend of mine. I said, I won't go on the record because I'm by no means an expert, but you need to talk to Eric Spivak. I connected them. The story went out. They got banned, period. Because it was bothering me fundamentally that I was sitting in rooms every day of people crying that they invested their hard earned money into these projects that were being pumped by the page. And they didn't know it was rug pulls and they weren't disclosing that these people were paying for program. Further, I was at a dinner in Las Vegas where somebody was like, yeah, because he was wearing like a one-of-one Chrome heart jacket and a diamond encrusted watch. I'm like, dude, you're 21 years old. Where do you have $20,000? And he says to me, I made a lot of money in Web3. I'm like, elaborate. He's like, oh, I created a a rug pull. I paid $50,000 to NFT to promote it. We made three and a half million dollars in three days. And then we, we shut, shut it down. It's kind of gross. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, I just want to let you know that I have zero respect for you. <laughs> and he says, the fuck do you mean you have zero respect for me? I'm like, wearing a diamond encrusted Rolex and a chrome heart jacket and a chrome heart tie doesn't make you earn respect. What you just said to me is that you robbed from people for your own personal gain. You know when you robbed people. There's no difference from what you did. Said, if you rob the bank, the bank has insurance. I don't lose money from you robbing a bank. That's them losing cash. What you just did is you use the power of Web three for greed, because people, because you know that there's no intermediary to protect people. Right. Yes, there's a do your own research, but at NFT was supposed to be a trusted source of information. So, what I'm trying to say to you is that. There is very much in Web three the element of D- DYOR and know what you're getting into, but there's also a level of inherent trust when you go into it that people you're listening to you're going to believe because they're humans. That a lot of people want to believe
3: the best in people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And so what you're saying is like in this in the example you just gave, it's there are some just like in any industry or field or medium that will play on the generosity and trust of folks for
2: perhaps less than ideal
0: purposes? The short answer is yes. There's a lot of people online and they can do them and I'm not calling any names out because I don't care. What people do, karma will get them for. But there's people who are on Twitter and doing stuff for ingenuine purposes. And I'm saying that people need to be careful because I, I didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole. The point of what I'm trying to say with anything is people, are, people act and, and make decisions very emotionally. So it's very hard in Web3 because you don't have protection from that emotion. You wear your heart on your sleeve. You impulse click a link to buy an NFT without realizing that that's a phishing scam and you just lost a $1,000 and there's nobody to go to. You have to be very careful because it's the Wild West. It's like walking outside with a, with a briefcase full of millions of cash and hoping you don't get robbed. There's no difference,
1: right? And and in this case, I think to to tie it back uh, to what we were saying before with, with artists, it's like you want to create that community, but you want to have a positive ethos to it, and because it kind of goes against the grain of what Web three and, and a decentralized way of existing in the world is all about. Exactly. On that tip, you know what what can you speak to uh, that you have coming up in terms of Folks you're working with, projects you're working with. Inbound leads,
0: but verify like like for affiliate market, but verified by the block. So there's basically zero spam. Every single inbound lead is validated by the block. So that there can't be it indicates all spam, all fake leads, so that when you're signing up as a salesperson of anything and you want inbound, every inbound coming in is real. Whether it's cold or warm is on you, but it's not spam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm working on uh, a dear friend of mine if people know who Richie Richie is on Twitter Josh Anderson mm-hmm. uh, I support everything he does I think he's a genius I think he's very 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 good at what he does and anything he puts his mind to he calls me and says what do you think and I'm shutting him out because I'm very very happy to support anything he does uh, same with uh, Jacob Lee, lowly lyricist I've worked with him for a very long time I, I love him I'm like a brother because the guy hustles every single fucking day. Projects that I'm working on, not many. I've been really, really focused on non Web3 projects lately. Um, Web3 projects that I have been a smart on of consulting, advising, Brian Moss off of Ether Capital. I talk a lot to him. But I haven't been immersed in like NFT projects or stuff like that because I just haven't. There's no reason for it. I just haven't. I need to work on things that I'm passionate about and I believe in. I can't just work on it. Anybody can take 30, 40, $50,000 to work on something. I need to work on something that I believe in. And a lot has come my way and not saying, I don't think it's great. It's just not for me.
1: Right on. Well, Corey, I really appreciate you dropping all of the knowledge that you have today. I think it's been really insightful for artists and non-artists alike, anyone who's interested in building a community, anyone who's interested in attempting to grow an audience, You've brought up some really great points uh, as to how to do that, and some really great insights. And also, on that tip, just how to be a better person. You know, whether you're <laughs> building a community or not. You know,
0: toxicity is a is, toxicity is a cancer. Uh, be positive. Help people. Help without expectation. Do without. End. And things turn out. It might not be today or tomorrow, but but it will.
1: And on that tip, where where can people find you?
0: Twitter on my first, my name, Corey Herscu, C-O-R-E-Y-H-E-R-S-C-U.
1: Instagram, it's Herskew. Love it. Corey Herscu, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Essential Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.